I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So we have been in this series for quite a while talking about justice. And we started off in the Old Testament about, you know, covering both the, hey, I broke a law, what's the punishment going to be? As well as how do we restore right relationship, both with God and with neighbor. And we've just recently moved into the New Testament and how Jesus talks about and views justice. But now I think it's time for us to move on and explore the rest of the New Testament. So the rest of the New Testament, as uh, you've been a long-time listener, a long-time follower of Christ, you know, it's mostly written by Paul. So we're going to focus in a lot on him. And we're going to be moving kind of from the idea of justice and laws around justice to, to the the big churchy word of justification and what that means. I'm glad you mentioned that that is a big churchy word, huh? Because... It is a big churchy word, yeah. especially when you're not when you're from outside of the church. You hear this word and you're like, "What? What is justification? What does that mean?" Yeah. And so we're going to be kind of moving in that direction, and we're going to pick up in um, at least in the way the Bible is laid out. Um, one of the the first letter we have, or no, is it the first letter? Yeah, yeah. it's the first letter from Paul. It's the longest. That's why. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a lo- it's a, definitely the longest. Um, Romans chapter one, um, verses sixteen and following. And here Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and to also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. This sentence, a couple of verses in English, but sentence in Greek is a huge deal. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's some, some would call it like the thesis statement of the, the letter to the Romans. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is the most systematic of Paul's letters. So if you want to get a glimpse of how does Paul see a lot of stuff, Romans is a good place to land. Um, and it's important for a lot of reasons. It's, it's been like hugely important in church history because like it, this becomes like the huge verse that for Luther, like begins unraveling his old understanding and becomes the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, the Lutheran Reformation. And because it was Luther's commentary on Romans that Wesley was reading, this verse is pretty, is in in a way responsible for Methodism as well. Um, But like, this is a moment I would like us to call a time out to borrow the line of an old professor of mine and say the, the word I think we may have said this word in in the in the Greek of the New Testament. The word justice and the word righteous are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though in English we hear those as two separate concepts, the phrase "the righteousness of God is revealed" is just as accurately translated the justice of God, and that presents a challenge that was exactly the reason that Luther had the Reformation breakthrough that he had. Because the, the the short version of it is, Luther growing up hearing, and probably hearing it in Latin, so hearing a different spin on it than in the original Greek, heard the justice of God is revealed, and he heard justice means getting punished for crime. So the justice of God is revealed, well that must be God zaps me every time I mess, mess up, and that we're all sinners, and because we keep messing up, the justice of God is when God zaps me, and I should be afraid of the justice of God, and I should look for how can I get around the justice of God, or how can I hope for mercy, which is the opposite of the justice of God. And when 
Luther discovers that Paul says the justice of God is something that is given as a gift by grace through faith, all of a sudden he was like, oh, justice isn't something to be afraid of anymore. Justice is how God puts us into right relationship again. Oh, justice has always been about right relationship, not just zapping people for rule breaking. Everything changed. That's why, like, from that point on, like, in Luther's theology, in that moment in his life, it, it began a rethinking of everything in his theology, not just, I'm criticizing the church about one practice about indulgences, it became, oh my goodness, everything is different if justice isn't what I thought it was. Instead of justice being something to be afraid of, it's how God puts us in right relationship. And is that something I earn and achieve, or is that something God gives? And if it's something God gives, oh, I don't have to be afraid of this anymore. And that changes everything. The other thing I think is worth noting maybe in this moment is all of our conversation so far about justice has a lot to do with what we do for one another mm -hmm. and the right ways we treat one another, understandably so. A big piece of what Paul does when he talks about justification is even when we mess up and don't treat each other rightly, God, through Christ, justifies us, makes us in right, right relationship as a gift apart from what we've done, which is a lovely word of good news for us, but that also like creates a tension. Which is it, God? Is it you care about how I treat my neighbor? Or is it even when I am a stinker to my neighbor, you love me anyway? Yes. Exactly, right? And this, I'm glad the Methodist said the paradox. Right? Like, yeah, it's not yes. just the Lutherans going, yeah, contradiction, we wallow in it. No, this, no that's, it, right, it's both, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, and I think it's because God loves us even when we're stinkers, even when we don't treat our neighbors well. I mean, that's it's because of God's love for us that we should do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Not that we have to. You know, the thief on the cross had no chance to treat his neighbors right. right. But God justified him, and, and Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but because of, out of God's love for us, out of his just love and his righteous love for us, then we should want to treat others justly and rightly. It, to, to me, this feels very much like uh, how... A family runs itself. At least I, I can't help but like picture. This is the conversation day in and day out at, at our house with uh, children who were first and second grade. And that every day, sometimes on the hour, there are infractions against one another's brother and sister. Right. So like the the brother and sister in the household are constantly. He took my pencil. She stepped on my foot. He took my scrunch. I mean, like this never ending. And every time that happens, there's consequences where you're not allowed to do that to your neighbor. And yet, or to your brother or your sister for that matter, but we don't do that to each other. Mm -hmm. But at no point is there you're out of the family because your behavior was so bad. Yes. You belong. That's unquestionable. And your belonging in the family has nothing to do with your behavior. It comes logically prior to what you do. This is a gift you were given. That's how family works. You're beloved. Whether you're born into it, adopted into it, married into it, you belong. And there's mm -hmm. no getting out. We're stuck with each other. Um, and at the same time, the policy is because we all belong in this family and you can't messed your way out, we treat each other a certain way. That Both of those are held in tension all the time. So it's not fudging it to say that's how God works. That's just saying, oh, Jesus was on to something when he said to treat God like the way a parent treats their child. Oh, that really is how God runs the universe. Our belonging doesn't depend on what we've done or how we've earned it, but we are still called to the uh, standard of we're supposed to treat each other rightly. Okay, so this idea sort of percolates all through the letter to Romans, yes. and uh, it becomes sort of the, the defining hallmark, you could say, of, of Paul's move, is that God puts us in right relationship, not by what we've done, or whether we're circumcised or keep kosher, but on the basis of grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Um, 
But then, toward the end of Romans, he makes an interesting move that does come back to how we do justice to each other and the importance of how we treat one another. Um, I'm looking in particular in, like, uh, the end of Romans 13 somewhere. Someone have it? Like, 8 and following? Uh, yeah, so, you know, 8 and following, New International Version. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So even though sometimes people caricature Paul like he's anti-law, and he can say some things that are um, negative or sound negative about the law, things like the law can't make me be good, and no matter how many times people yell at me, follow the rules, that doesn't make me want to follow the rules. Um, and Paul could say, you know, like the, the the law has this sting and this power over us, and we you know wretched man that I am, I can't follow the law. At the same time, he says the law was was good, and essentially the law is about. How do we love our neighbor? And the, everything in the law, the, and at this point he's probably winking back to like Moses' law, the commandments, mm-hmm. it, it really has everything to do with loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, so it, even if we follow Paul's train of thought, that we're put in right relationship with God by grace through faith apart from our actions or what we've done, Paul doesn't say that lets us off the hook that now you can do whatever you want. But no, we're called especially to love our neighbor because mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like we, we just keep coming back to because that's how we do it in this family. <laughs> it's just it's God's family rather than yours or mine or anybody else's. Well, really here, I mean, he's just, he's quoting Jesus too. Right? You know, like, <laughs> right. you know, what are the greatest commandments, teacher? Love God and, you know, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor. Yeah. And, and it's probably worth recognizing too that even when Jesus says it, he's probably not the only rabbi ever to have made that conclusion. But Jesus sort of speaks as though, yep, that's the correct interpretation of what the Torah is, that it does boil down to love God and love your neighbor. Um, and that when Paul says it, again, he's not being original in the sense of, I had this crazy new idea, it's really about love. Oh, he got it from Jesus. And uh, Jesus got it from actually paying attention to what the Hebrew scriptures say. Um, it, it seems important to me that like the early church recognized this. Because like, sometimes we, we, I think, misread or treat like the early church like, um, that all they did was spend their time like inventing theology, or sometimes you'll hear like the the um, Da Vinci Code writers of the world, Dan Brown's of the world, saying that the early church just invented myths about Jesus uh, for power and success. And it seems like if you actually read these early documents, no, they were dealing with uh, how do we treat each other. Oh, we really are supposed to love one another. That's not like a later invention. Like sometimes you'll hear people say the early church was concerned with pure doctrine, and then in the 19th century they watered it down to this, it's all about love your neighbor stuff. And it turns out, no, we've been saying it's really about loving your neighbor like from day one. <laughs> um, and knowing that Paul's writings are even earlier than the writing of the Gospels, yep, you're talking about early, early stuff where it gets to, you know what the law was really all about? Love your neighbor. How do I know what loving my neighbor looks like? Well, don't do harm to your neighbor. Mm-hmm. That seems like a good policy. But this is core, core stuff for the early church. We keep talking about love, and I, I keep thinking this is partially form thought um so, fun so go with me here but you know love is not i mean you can tell somebody that you love them all day right long. yeah yeah um and, and we've we've said this before and i'm sure we've all said it to you know our families and stuff you can tell people you love them all day long but until you actually show them right. that you love them 
they're not going to realize that. And I think that's kind of where we can begin to tackle the paradox that we talked about just a few minutes ago mm-hmm. of, you know, justification by faith alone, but doing good works. You know, it's loving your neighbor means doing good things for your neighbor, doing good things to your neighbor. Um, and, I mean, you can tell your neighbor you love him all day. You know, the rich man could have told Lazarus, you know, every day when he passed him by the gate, I love your neighbor. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't do a good thing for him, though. Mm-hmm. And, like, to me, I think you raised a really important point that we often, in our day, hear the word love and assume it's primarily an emotional thing. Yeah. That you're supposed to feel a certain way towards somebody. And that seems, at least in the ancient world, a secondary, at best, understanding mm-hmm. of what love means. And that it is, it, it, do good to other people. That's what love looks like. And that it's almost like feelings follow along with that. And it's, if, if, you, if you are able to do good to somebody consistently enough... Feelings will end up where they're supposed to be, but it's not do what your feelings are first. Otherwise, the command to love your neighbors, love your enemies, is meaningless, right? Because these are the people I don't feel like loving. And Jesus responds to do good to those who can't do anything good for you, or Mm -hmm. do good to those who've been stinkers to you, not because you feel like it, but exactly because you don't. Um, And similarly, yeah, all this talk about what it means to love is about action, not about feelings. Mm -hmm. and to quote a really important song of the late 80s, early 90s uh, that has greatly informed my theology, uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with uh, the band Extreme, the hair band Extreme, whose famous song, More Than Words. What? No, you're not familiar. This, this, uh, <laughs> they weren't a Christian band or anything like that. They were just like an 80s hair band. But they had a song. Um, oh, my, this is like a formative song for my theology. And they didn't, they certainly didn't intend. It's funny because like they sing the song so earnestly and like it's it's la- it's kind of laughable and that like overly serious hairband kind of. But the 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 verses go, saying I love you is not the words I want to hear from you. It's not that I want you not to say. But if you only knew how easy it would be to show me how you feel, more than words is all you have to do to make it real. Then you wouldn't have to say that you love me because I already know. But there's this recurring line about like I really don't need you to just, just keep telling me the words. Mm-hmm. What I action is what I you know I need I need to show it in actions that you matter that I matter to you that kind of thing, and um, to me it feels like like this whole conversation about love your neighbor is not about having how how I feel about people or at least that's secondary, mm-hmm. but how do I do good to people? It just that sort of like doing good is is obvious. Sort of well, what will help my neighbor if they're hungry? Oh, I should help them. Are you familiar with uh, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages? Uh, vaguely, uh-huh. Okay, so his whole concept, and he's now published several books yeah, about this. <laughs> yeah, um, but the idea is that we each speak yeah. and hear love in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so he's boiled it down to five. Um, physical touch, words of affirmation, gift-giving, quality time, and acts of service. Um but I and I really like his theory on the five loving languages. But also, I think you can only speak those love languages after people's basic needs are met. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, if you're a parent, it doesn't really matter if you're going to like, oh, my kid's love language is quality time. I'm going to spend the day with him. That doesn't count if your kid is hungry right, right, right. or if your kid is cold right. like those basic needs need to be met before you can speak that love language because ultimately making sure that your kid or whomever you're trying to express love to if their basic needs aren't being met and you're not helping to meet those basic needs then 
it doesn't matter if you're giving them a box full of chocolates that say, be my Valentine, mm-hmm. I love you. You know, like, you need mm-hmm. to be meeting those basic needs. Mm-hmm. And while well, Chapman seems like, part of his point seems to be that each person is different in what sort of speak, what language they speak and how, how you learn to communicate with others. Yep. You're sort of pointing to, like, there's a core decency or a core, like, minimum mm-hmm. requirement of care for one another that... Like, uh, it's helpful to know if my wiring, if my personality is more, I really appreciate quality time as opposed to people just saying it. But at a deeper level, concern for my neighbor is, are my neighbor's basic needs being met? So even if my Mm -hmm. natural tendency is, I like to say words to people, if my neighbor is hungry, saying, I hope you are well filled, does not help them. In fact, letter to James says, like, if your neighbor is hungry and you just say, go be well fed, you've not actually helped them. Don't count that as loving your neighbor. Um... So is as helpful as it might be interpersonally to know how am I wired, what, what speaks to me or what gets to me, mm-hmm. how do I know that I'm loved and how do I show that to other people, there's yet this sort of deeper, but there's a kind of a core we owe each other basic minimum care or help for one another simply by virtue of us being human. <clears throat> and that's why it's interesting to me in this, this passage from Romans that Paul starts it out with the language of debt of owing. He says, mm-hmm. owe, owe nothing to anybody except to love one another. And that, that I think, shocks me out of the sentimentality. Because if all we just say is we should love one another, we can get stuck in that. It means we say nice things to each other mm-hmm. and we, you know, like, no. We're nice to each yeah, other. Yeah, but like, owing language is much more like, you don't have to feel like it. We owe this to each other. And that what we owe to everybody, um, not because I've wronged you and now I have to pay you back, but because the, the core requirement or obligation we have to each other as humans is to love one another. And if we want to ask why, the in a sense you go back to Genesis 1, because we're made in the mm-hmm. image of God. That anybody God made, yep, you owe bare minimum decency of caring and, and, in, and have to have regard for the well-being of other people. You don't have to like them, you don't have to be similar to them, they don't have to be near you or far away from you, they don't have to share even your uh, skin color or faith or gender or religion. It's our, our sheer humanity is why we owe one another love in that sense of the way we're called to love our neighbor. I'm glad you brought up Genesis 1 because I've been thinking this whole time, like, this whole series, as we've been working through this, you know, justice and righteousness, as we read it in Scripture, is at, at the very baseline taking care of the basic needs of everyone, making sure everyone has exactly what they need mm-hmm. to survive. And anything above and beyond that is still justice and righteousness, but if we're not hitting that baseline, mm-hmm. then anything above it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to me, it, it, it's, it's helpful to me that we've, we started where we did this whole series by saying, like, this is that justice isn't just about punishing wrongdoing, but even prior to the existence of wrongdoing, there's a sense of how we are made to be in right relationship mm-hmm. with each other. And even when the Bible's getting into the thick of exact punishments for this exact crime, there's still this like even earlier notion of this is about right relationship. So if we talked at the beginning about all the different ways we can be out of right relationship, I can be out of right relationship with my neighbor, with creation, with God, mm-hmm. that in the end God's desire is to bring <clears throat> right relationship all around in each of those directions. And when Paul talks about justification, and that this is God's gift, it's how does God? How do we get into right relationship with God? Well, that's got to be something that God does from God, that God restores the relationship not by demanding punishment, but by, as a gift, I'm forgiving you and you're starting over. But then also, how do we get in right relationship with each other? That means everybody. That doesn't just mean the people who are like me or who I like, but the people who are around anybody. And that goes back to the original sort of 
all of us who were made in the image of God, you know everybody, is, is we owe this love to one another. So even though we have not like <clears throat> intentionally required ourselves at every step along the way to say, don't forget Genesis 1, we keep going back there yeah. because mm-hmm. I, I think uh, in our conversations here, it's been like that's really where, where mm-hmm. the conversation about justice is, that it's not just about punishing people, but about how do we restore relationships. Well, uh, so we've, we've uh, taken a, quite a trip through the scripture so far and uh, made it from the Old Testament to the New Testament and uh, we hope it's been a valuable conversation for you to expand and maybe rediscover what the J word is all about, what justice really is. Thanks for listening here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you. Bye.